Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of MLS Bench Podcast that we are back in the regular season of MLS. You know, the, the preseason episodes were fun, but this is the first real episode where we can break down games and really get into the stuff that we love to do. And so I think this is the time of the year that um, we, we really, really enjoy here on MLS Bench. Joining me today is Andres and Matt, as always. How are you doing, gents? Matt, I'll start with you. What did you like from week one? And yeah, just give us a little update on yourself. Yeah, uh, it's really, really good to go ahead and get back to some Major League Soccer. Uh, first week under the, the or we saw a couple of the uh, matches in preseason for uh, the Apple coverage, but really enjoyed getting to see some of that. Um, and then just, just so much soccer. So it's going trying to you know hit 14 games a week is uh not exactly entirely possible but we we do what we can so it's it's really good to get back in the flow of things how about you joey i'm doing pretty well i'm doing pretty well love to see my union get that opening win of the season that was nice touch uh on saturday night andres how are you doing sir mls is back how are you feeling about that good it was uh it was exciting to get that chaos back uh some late game winners uh, new teams a new media package uh settling in you know saturday afternoon for for the first uh match week of the year was you know exciting and and lived up to to the expectation and now now we're off and running now it's uh, it's you know it's full 100% pedal to the metal for the next 6 months so yeah, exciting and ready and ready to to really kick things off as we as we get into the summer. Yep, no complaints there. I'm feeling exactly the same way. We will get into the craziness in just a minute, though. I think first we have to start with kind of I maybe the focus of all the MLS coverage this weekend. You know, in a normal week we would be talking about all the crazy, you know, late winners, you know, back passes, all that stuff. But I think the majority of the coverage in week one was focused on the new Apple TV deal that we've talked about, basically every week of uh, our preseason pods. And so I think it, we just got to dive into it. What did we like? How was your experience? Did you like the different features? Do you want more from this, uh, from the coverage? And Andres, I think, you know, we can start with you because I think you you had a, in our MLS Bench Discord, which, by the way, join it, link in the uh, Twitter page, all that good stuff. Um, you had a, a significant critique that I think a lot of us had. Do you want to share that? Yeah, so so I always had sort of a, well, maybe it's not an issue, but I knew as somebody that liked to watch full games and kind of analyze them as they go, having all the games in one window or most of the games in one window was always going to be difficult. Um, and my hope was that this uh, MLS 360 kind of whip around show was going to help uh, just to kind of keep tabs on everything uh, uh, that was going on at once. Um, yeah, unfortunately for me, um, that show, at least in week one, while I think it's a really good idea, the and I think it can, there's definitely uh, a market to be served there, as we've seen with Red Zone especially, or even the Galasso show on CBS for the European matches. Um, I think this first execution left left something to be desired. Um, multiple issues for me, at least, you know, primarily, you know, there's seven games going on at once. Uh, soccer, as opposed to like NFL in, in football, you have built-in commercials and breaks. In soccer, you don't. And so, going to commercial three times in a half when you've got seven games going on, um, you already know that if you're only watching one, you're missing the other six. Uh, and then, if you go to commercials, you're not seeing anything out of any of the seven. I think that's that's a huge mistake. Um, and I think that's something that MLS needs to look at how to how to make their sponsorships work before in pregame and postgame uh, and during halftime of the games. Also, you know, features, uh, previews, and all of that needs to happen while games are not going on. And for me, that whip around show needs to be, you know, straight to the game coverage, straight to the narrators, uh, a host kind of taking you from game to game, big moments to big moments, and then some analysis from the other hosts uh, when the games aren't, actually being played um that's my biggest critique uh on the positive side p 
picture quality is incredible, super clear, uh, really big difference. You can tell right away the second you turn on a game, um, it feels like a big deal. Uh, Pre-game shows, pretty good. Uh, commentators, generally knowledgeable about the leagues and the teams. Uh, maybe not, you know, local coverage, uh, deep depth of knowledge, but good enough that you don't feel like you're being talked down to. Um, so overall, the coverage good. Uh, just want a little bit more out of that out of that new show because I think it's a great idea. But uh, I didn't didn't particularly like their execution this week. Yeah, it's definitely going through some some growing pains for sure. And and the the bright side is, I think that we know that the personalities that are on those shows do actually value this league, and that's something that that was also. The, the thing that I appreciated most about, about most about the coverage of the entire or across the league this this season this week whatever um, and I think that that's that gives me a little bit of willingness to go ahead and give them uh, some more leash to go ahead and and make some mistakes work on it grow with it and adapt and I, I'm I'm really confident that that 360 show especially is going to become one of the the real real jewels of as far as this apple deal um but again you're 100 right under like there's just there's some some clumsiness about it that they need to kind of get ironed out they need to go ahead and continue to build some of the chemistry and understand like when it's a stoppage time goal to tie it up and then another stoppage time goal to go ahead and take the lead and and win a match like almada did down in atlanta that moment does not really need the analysis. It needs the 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 passion. It needs the the crowd noise. It needs some some of the less teaching moment and more just the feeling. And that's something that I think over time they're really going to go ahead and develop. Um, and then yeah, hundred percent right. Like it's really really nice to see production quality on on all of these broadcasts be so significantly improved. Uh, it's really nice to not have, you know, games delayed for high school basketball, stuff like that. It's just, that's so much, it, it still felt like the priority. It still felt like there was a real good knowledge across the league. Um, and I'm still very, very optimistic. Just need to go ahead and, and you know, they're, I'm sure they're getting a ton of, um, we'll call it criti- uh, criticism. Go ahead and take that and move forward uh, from there. So. Yeah, for sure. And um, I follow Mark McClure on Twitter. Uh, I think he's a good follow. If you guys don't follow him, you should, you should go ahead and do that because he's one of the lead Apple guys um, or guys, you know, kind of putting this MLS Apple package together, kind of, you know, working on the production aspect of things. It, it kind of doesn't sound like those commercials are going to go away in game, but I think certainly like I, I, but Andre, I would basically parrot all of um, your critiques and, you know, I think it is, you know, clear that even if they're not going to get rid of commercials, there needs to be, like you said, Glosso show, right? At all times, even if they're, you know, they're having the studio analyst talk over it, at least one game, if not two games, big screen, full screen, you know, talk about the action that's at hand, not the action that already happened or is going to happen. You know, I don't want to see four analysts and a screen behind them. I want to see what's on the screen, on my screen. Um... And I think that stuff is so easy to do. That's literally just, hey, you know, director, switch to this camera shot instead of this camera shot. That's easy stuff to iron out. There's no such thing like that. That's not a commercial, you know, issue where they need to pay for the show. That's just which shot do I put up? Um, and I think that stuff is easy to iron out. And that's the stuff that I really expect them to because everyone that I've heard talk about this 360 show has had that complaint while saying that. It's a great idea, and the league, I think, is going to benefit from this long term. We need to get through these early stages, though, and they really have to, you know, listen to the fans and start taking these critiques, because I agree with you. You know, for me and for a lot of us, it's it, it's really difficult uh, to get to all those different games. Having the Glosso show, you know, for the Champions League or the Europa League makes me feel like I know what's going on in all the games and I can talk about it knowledgeably. I can't do that with the 360 show. That's something that really needs to improve. Um, but Andres, if you have a, a positive from Apple, 
Uh, I love to hear it. You know, the picture quality, obviously. Was there any other part of the coverage that you, you really appreciated? No, I think, the, I think, like I said, the commentary, um, the, com- the, the, I guess the tandems, the right, the pairs for the, each individual games, I thought was, was pretty good in general. Um, the preview shows, uh, you know, were, were also good. And, and, and you know, the, the studio looks professional. Uh, they've got little clips uh, where where teams are preparing for the games, there's just a whole bunch more content uh, that makes each week and each game feel like a bigger deal, uh, which I think is is very very positive. And then the production quality backs that up. So, uh, you know, you guys have heard my critiques on on what this deal does for visibility, but I also think uh, you can see the positives of what it does in terms of giving the the whole league a more professional feel uh, in general. So, yeah. On that side, no, no real complaints. I'm also really interested to see eventually when this comes out, which is going to be way down the line, but there was certainly a question of the visibility within the United States. I'm interested to see if, if them trying to branch this out, having it just be truly available internationally full stop, is going to have any you know, positives therein. Um, I know that Major League Soccer is not necessarily like the number one league that people think of across the world. It's certainly not even close. But the fact that they're making an effort in that way and in, in trying to go ahead and step into that market is really interesting. And I think where, where it can help um, in that sense is, for, for example, you saw, I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter, about Obina Nuobodo's family being able to catch his, his goal live. Um, I was so going to say, cool. yeah. And, so cool. And, and things like that of players that are coming from other countries. Um, you know, the same way that we follow uh, Weston and, and Tyler Adams at Leeds or, or Tim Weah or, or those guys in Europe, you know, other fans of other countries also follow their guys. Yeah, I thought that, you know, particularly the Obina thing was awesome. I was going to mention that if you didn't, Andres, because that was like so heartwarming. And he said, like, he called his family after the game. And that must feel great that you can actually call your family and they can talk about the game that you played instead of like having to hear about it from you. That's just super cool and a great feature of this new deal that, again, things that we wouldn't have thought about and things that we wouldn't have known about unless you know they actually put this deal into practice. So it is cool to see that come, come to fruition. Um, I think at this point we can kind of move past the Apple deal, and I'm sure we'll be touching on this every single week throughout the rest of the year and just because it is so new. By the way, I thought the uh, switching between the uh, local radio and the, um, uh, the the national broadcast was cool and easy to do, so I appreciate them doing that. That's a really cool touch. Uh, I, I, we can start to you know go more into the game action itself. Uh, before we get into anything super specific, uh, Matt, I'll start with you. Thing that you loved, uh, mo- most surprising things, something, uh, I guess, in a, a superlative uh, from week one, on or off the field, what do you got? Oh man, that's a tough one. There's just so much to like, and there's it's it's really really nice to get back to the chaos. Um, I think for me, the one that um, I think that I I would say that I like the most is the the crowds in Charlotte and Atlanta. Um, Charlotte might be a little bit you know less pleased after the result of their match, but Atlanta uh, with Almada coming through for them and scoring two massive goals in stoppage time to go ahead and take the win over San Jose, that was that that's the 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 selling point behind this entire league. It's those crowds, it's that environment, and just that that bumping uh, entire atmosphere that is such a an absolute delight in the league. That was that was definitely my like highlight across the uh, across the week. Well, uh, how about you, Joey? Uh, I was really, um, I was really happy to see guys like Jared Stroud. We're gonna talk about him in a minute, but like guys who are you know getting their chance in MLS, get their big moment and take advantage of it. I think that's something that we don't talk about enough in this league. Is just guys who have these opportunities. Um, and opportunities are so fleeting, but this league gives people opportunities. Someone like Jared Stroud, who sat the bench in Austin, comes to St. Louis and, you know, buries a massive goal for this club and the history of this club. So it's things like that that I love to see. Andres, big superlative for you from week one? Yeah, we may have some Jared Stroud uh, criticism a little bit later. Uh, but I think you're, on, you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of what was my 
surprise slash biggest moment. It's got to be St. Louis, brand new team. I think most of us watching the league are, are not very high on their chances this year. Going to Austin, you know, getting a win in their first ever match, uh, starting off a new franchise uh, in, in what is, like always in Austin, a very good atmosphere. I think for me, not only surprising, but just kind of fun to watch. Uh, if I had to pick one, that's probably it. There's so many others, um, but that's that's what I'll go with for now. Let's jump into that match. Tell me, like, what 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 was the story of this for for you, Andres? I mean, I think part part of it is, you know, unfortunately for Kip Keller, he had a a real nightmare of a of a game. Um, you know, we can talk about that second goal, which is where I was saying we may have some criticism for for Stroud. It seems like he calls for the ball. Uh, you know, he's he's behind the play, kind of calls out. Keller feeds him the ball to feet. Um, you know, that's iffy at best. And so that gives him that second goal. And then St. Louis, you know, mostly defensive, pressed as a team, went direct, very Red Bull style, uh, scrapped their way through. And, uh, you know, Austin has some issues defensively, which I think, uh, we've already suspected, but now with Cascante out for a while, we're, we might see them, you know, prop up more and more. Uh, and St. Louis was gritty enough and and skillful enough to take advantage and get a late winner. Yeah, I will be very very surprised if if there's not some connections being being made from Austin to uh, I don't know Colorado or I know uh, Javier Arriaga is. Uh, I think looking for a way out of Seattle to a certain degree. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some significant links being made because Cascante going down in the 11th minute really, really changed the the nature of this match. Um, and then, yeah, just a really, really tough moment from uh, from Keller. And I, I'm happy to see the way that Austin has kind of come around him and, and tried to make sure that they know or he knows that they have or yeah, that they have his back and throughout all that. That's that's really awesome. Um, Joey, was there anything in particular you saw about this match that was interesting? I think it was just... And I think we, we talk about this all the time, but MLS is maybe the best league for narratives. Like, I, I everywhere you see MLS coverage, there's constant conversation about narratives, no matter what it is. And I think the narrative for new teams is that they just can't win. They can't do it. And I don't know how St. Louis has overcome this, but to go down 2-1 on the road in Q2 against a team that you know is a talented team, Sebastian, when Sebastian Driussi hits that second goal, it's like, oh my gosh, like that's that's an amazing goal. Um, Again, we talk about repeatable. I don't think so, but it's an amazing goal. Um, And so for them... To then come back, stay resilient, get that second goal. Like, and like we said, yes, that's an iffy goal. Like, calling for, you know, yelling at your opponent on the field could easily just be a yellow card. Like, it is a yellow card, but I guess the referee didn't see it, hear it. Maybe it didn't happen. They get the second goal, then they keep pushing, get the third goal when they could have just sat on their laurels and taken the draw. That awesome. takes an, an amazing amount of strength and mental toughness from this team. And so I was really impressed with that, especially like this is their first competitive game in this kind of environment. It's got to be tough just on, you know, just walking into that and then to stay with it after taking the lead, going down and then coming back and winning it. I was super impressed with St. Louis. I don't think that they're going to, you know, make the playoffs or do anything crazy, but it, in this little nutshell, I was really, um, really impressed with what they showed in Austin, in that tough environment. Matt, do you kind of agree with that? Largely, yes. Uh, I, yeah, I've been kind of going through, you know, what's the real, or what's real, what's fake from, from week one. And I think that the defensive issues for Austin are certainly real, especially considering the Cascante injury coming out. Um, St. Louis, I'm not necessarily convinced entirely, because I think that there's something to be said for that Red Bull high press system that Bradley Carnell has come up through that um, you don't necessarily need to have the greatest chemistry with the rest of the members of your team. You have to have an, an idea of what you're supposed to be doing at any given time, but it's not like you're trying to create interesting or intricate passing lanes. You're not trying to do anything super technical. You're trying to punch the other team in the face and outrun them. And I think that that's one of those things that gives them a bit of a leg up 
in this match, uh, and it gives them kind of a a, a slightly less steep um, hill to climb to get into the season. I just think that the ceiling is going to be higher for so many other teams because of the fact that they're going to be able to develop that chemistry throughout the team. So, uh, great, great result. Do it again next week against Charlotte, and we'll talk. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I do agree that it gives them that massive leg up of just like, we're just going to, you know, Barnsley ball at this thing to death and we'll see what happens. Like, that, there's some kind of, you know, that's confidence. Um, right. It, like, it, it lightens the load. They don't have to connect passes. They just hit it long and see what happens. And it worked out. Andres? Do you guys worry about Austin at all after this performance at home against a new team? Yeah, more looking forward with with the defensive struggles. If they're able to get that ironed out, then less so. But with Cascante injured, yeah, I injured. I or, sorry, I, I worry a little more about that. It just seems a little iffy. I, I will say I think that they should have Alex Ring starting, uh, and I think that'll give them a little bit more solidity through the midfield. But uh, I, I, yeah, 100%. I think that there's something to be said for some questionable backline play. So Yeah, so... I think that's that's basically uh, you know all to talk about from that game because yeah there were some there were some nice goals in this game Klaus's winner was also nice I talked about the Driussi goal but that winner was nice a little outside the boot <laughs> so I think he just got subbed off after that like tired or cramping I don't even know but he he, he did the job got that uh, got the game winner um, and that's that's what it is uh, St Louis taking that massive win in Austin surprising I think everyone who covers this league follows this league because it just doesn't happen like this. And we, we, we saw that Austin, you know, despite the loss, despite the defensive mishaps still has attacking quality, right? We saw that in you know, the, uh, the one, one goal. Sorry. It was just, I think I mentioned earlier that Driussi got the second, got the first, I'm sorry. Uh, Driussi's, you know, first goal. Well, that was a, just a great goal, a great piece of individual effort. That um, little floater was something else. Oh, that was just gotta love a chip. Like, God, yeah, in, fr- in front of in front of the fans too. Like that's it was it was a great moment, and uh, that was a moment where I thought, okay, here comes Austin. They got the second then with John Gallagher. I'm like, okay, right, the comeback complete. They're gonna win the first game, and St. Louis gets a quick two. So St. Louis with that massive three two win on the road opens up their MLS campaign with three points. I can't imagine that too many uh, new sides have done that in league history. So. For St. Louis, they can they can punch themselves in as one of the better teams to open up the campaign at least uh, in, in this league's history. And we we think about you know back to Cincinnati's years and you know early years just getting killed every single game. So hopefully St. Louis has a shot and can continue some run of form as we get into the early season here. I think the next place we can pivot to is we, we kind of have to go to the East because a lot of the fun games were in the East. And I'll start with a more blowout before we. Uh, Head into some of the more fun stuff, I think. Philly, 4-1. You know, they, they run away with it. Four uh, unanswered goals after Columbus opened. Um, and Philly wins an easy game in the end at home against a very good team in Columbus. Matt, I got to ask you, why is Philly, you know, looking so dominant? And how do you think that they've continued their success from last year to this year against a very good Columbus side? Yep, ab- absolutely. I I might disagree slightly with the the outright dominance because I think that this this scoreline flatters Philly a little bit. Uh, there's there's no question that I think that they were probably deserved winners. I don't think that it was a four one match on the field, truthfully. Um, so the thing that that Philly has that is very very good is they are still so consistent. They have such good chemistry throughout the team. There's so much continuity in that group. Um, and then really, really good coaching to make sure that you're developing players. This is a team that's largely going to stay healthy and, you know, keep our fingers crossed because uh, it's just a lot of young guys doing really, really smart things. Um, the the thing that just has to be said is that there were two penalties. Uh, I think both were probably entirely correct. I think I'm trying to remember which one was slightly uh, more of a question. I, I think for me, the first one probably should yes. have been called. Yeah, yeah. And it was right, I mean, it was right before halftime. And and I think if you're listen, if you're Columbus, it sets the tone. If you're if you're Columbus and you're winning on the road at Philly, and you get a questionable penalty against you right before halftime, that's that's tough. That's tough. So so yeah, I think that that kind of skews a little bit the result. 
it does also give Columbus an opportunity for somebody to be a real leader in that locker room and say, all right, reset. It's still, you know, 1-1 in Philly at halftime. Let's go ahead and win the second half. And I think that they just didn't quite get there. And I think part of that is that they aren't quite as deep as some people, uh, namely me, might have uh, insinuated in the previews. But there's still something to go ahead and, and build on for Columbus. I don't think that... I, I think that Philly absolutely won this match. I don't think that Columbus should feel like they lost 4-1 because I think that they actually played very, very well. They need to go ahead and keep on getting some some of that um, understanding set up between them because it's a lot of new faces. I mean, Quinton, Will Sands coming in, Farsi. These are not your normal starters. Even Matan, I, I think he's a U22 initiative guy, but he's... I think really only getting to starting to break into this team. So I'm still absolutely confident in Wilfred Nancy to go ahead and turn this around. And I think this will be probably the last blowout win that we might see on Columbus for a little bit. Yeah. You know, you, you open with what many people are considering the best team in MLS and the union at the union. It's going to be tough in, in a very cold, you know, difficult environment to play in. I, I will say that, I think a lot of people, were, especially in the first half, were like, Columbus dominated Philly. I think you could say that if you look at the way that Columbus wants to play, which is with the ball, right? Like, I, they, they with Will Fernandez coming in, they looked like a team that was more, you know, capable of really, you know, making good possession work of the ball, progressing the ball up the flanks. Farsi, I think, was pretty good uh, with that at times. I just think that with the way that Philly likes to play, besides that fluky goal, which it was, and it was legit. Cucho throws the ball in, a nice little run in front of Blake. That that I forget who the forward runner was. Uh, I think it might have been Matan, but he never touched the ball. Glesnes ended up touching it last. And I think it was given to him as an own goal, at least on the broadcast. But that goal, besides that goal, Philly kept them at arm's length which is how the union want to play and tire teams out and just keep everything in front of them. So even though Columbus kept the ball, they didn't produce a million good chances or anything in the first half, a couple of dumb fouls by the union here and there. And then the union for, you know, I think the thing that I enjoy most about them as a fan is that they play 90 minutes of soccer from the start to the back. They can get a goal at any time in the game because they always stay on the front foot pressing the entire thing and they tire teams out and i think because of that they were able to you know press their advantage in the second half get the momentum going into halftime and then like i said come out the gates and explode in the second half three goals uh you know and the one with carranza by the way we, we we still haven't touched on it the last goal set up by that walking torres double spin was a beautiful goal and you're able to do that in front of those fans. And I think for Columbus, it just becomes completely just debilitating. And you just feel like you want to give up. And it kind of happened there in the second half that Columbus kind of folded after that that third goal win and that penalty. That was game, set, and match right there. Uh, Andres, what do you have on this team in this game? Do you think it was, you know as much uh, a Columbus more a more even game as Columbus fans would like to feel or do you think that Philly was able to kind of do what they wanted to do with Columbus for most of the game I don't know about most of the game I thought Columbus was as good or better uh in the first half than Philly was uh and I think in the second half Philly was clearly the the better team and I think one of the things that we that we haven't really talked about although you mentioned his name is that Joaquin Torres does bring an element off the bench that Philly hasn't had since Osinho, uh, which is that ability to break down players 1v1. Um, and if if he's playing at the level that he, he showed here this week, that's a huge, huge weapon uh, off the bench for an already deep team. So I think, you know, part of this is Columbus's first match and Wilfred Nancy uh, putting together kind of a new identity and roster having tons of talent uh, but not really able to put together a full 90 minutes on the road and Philly being just way more established way deeper and, and, and you know far, further along that path uh, so yeah I think all in all uh, I think 4-1 like Matt said is a little flattering to Philly still deserving winners and you know 
no reason why if we were doing the power rankings, I think we'd all have them at, at number one right now. But but not four one uh, wide or just no. I, I agree. I agree. Not four one. I do think that they were both penalties under the the laws of the game. Should the laws of the game be changed? Probably, as they've been changed basically every year regarding the handball law. I think they probably should have been penalties just based off of the current law. Um, but yeah, definitely difficult for the defenders in those situations, and I definitely see that. We can stay in the East, and we can move to the opening game of the year in MLS. Nashville taking on NYCFC, and Nashville gets the win, and they look pretty good while doing it. Uh, I mean, Matt, I guess I'll start with you. Takeaways from this game, I think for me, a good place to start might be Jacob Schaffelberg looked like a real weapon down the left side. Absolutely. And and we were able to kind of talk about this a little bit last year that they Nashville needed an ability to go ahead and stretch the field. And Schaffelberg does give you that option. He tries to get in behind. He will take, a, uh, take on defenders one-on-one and just takes a lot of the load off of in this match, Randall Leal, in other matches, that, that would be Hami Mukhtar. Uh, Mukhtar did not start this, and still, Nashville was relatively dominant. Again, if I'm talking about real or fake, I don't have a ton of, of confidence in the in, in NYCFC as they are set up right now. But I think, you know, at the end of the season, we're probably looking at this as a really, really good win because I do fully expect NYCFC to stock back up. Um, so I, I think that you have to be really, really happy with if you're Nashville defensively. They looked solid. Walker Zimmerman is still absolutely just a, a complete stud in this league. And I think Jack Maher is going to be really up to the level that they're not going to be too terribly hurt by sending Dave Romney to New England. So I, I might've been a little bit uh, premature in my uh, doom and gloom towards Nashville. Cause this, this definitely looked like a very, very solid win. And I think part of the reason why they felt so confident in sending Romney to New England was because they knew that Mar, who's a young guy, right. Was going to step in and was going to play well in you know, now really his second season of full participation, right. Played last year as part of that three back. Now you transition to just a normal four back with those wingers, really Schaffelberg higher up. And I thought it looked good. I thought it looked really good. And they possessed the ball better than, you know, they did at times last year. Uh, with Hani Mutar out because of a, a slight knock. He was on the bench, though. Um, and, and hopefully we get to see him this weekend. You mentioned about uh, NYCFC retooling, though. And Andres, so I'd love to throw it to you. James Sands is going to come back, and he is back now with NYCFC. That's what Tom Bogert tweeted out yesterday after his stint with Rangers. And really, he didn't see the field much at all after the, uh, some of the later stages of 2022 um, when there was a manager change, I believe. And he just fell out of, you know, favor with the powers that be. Sands is back. And you know that NYCFC still has some of those weapons. What do you think this team can be moving forward? Because it certainly didn't look good enough in the first game. Yeah, I think Sands back is is going to be a huge, a huge help. Um, it's we talked about how you know maybe that first eleven on NYC was was pretty good or, or good enough uh, at least to be competitive and in the playoff picture. But there wasn't really any depth. Um, and Sands is just another another quality piece with that has tons of MLS experience for his age. Now has some European experience. He played an MLS Cup. He started an MLS Cup. Can play the six. He can be the third of a of a back three, which we saw out of Cushing uh, la- last year quite a bit. So he gives him a lot more flexibility in how he wants to play, and and, and really solidifies an area where you're missing Alex Collins uh, and, you know, I don't know how much you're going to get out of Alfredo Morales, how how consistent he's going to play. So having that center back slash number six of availability, I think really big. I think on the other end, uh, I think we know now for pretty sure that Thales Magno is not a forward or a second forward. He's an incredible winger uh, in this league. And I'm not sure what the thinking was be behind trading Eber. I thought having Eber up front and Magno on the wing would have been 
uh, a much more potent way to go about things. But I think we're still looking out for for some help at the nine position for NYC. Uh, Santi's back. Uh, I think if you have Santi at the 10 uh, type role and Magno and Pereira or Andrade on the wings with another nine, that's uh, that's pretty potent. But but you need to find that that person up top. Yeah, I we're definitely going to be touching on Ever in later in the pod, but that just seems like probably the biggest loss uh, out of uh, for an outgoing transfer from the season outside. Eh, Montreal still probably holds the holds the medal on that one, but that like just having that talented forward and just letting him go for really not that much gam is I won't use the term brain dead, but I'm certainly thinking it. Yeah, it just looks so kind of dead. Like some of their best moments, and it was mentioned on the broadcast how it it was tallest cutting in from the left on the right foot, taking a shot just over the bar, right? Starting his run, starting his dribble from the winger position, and then cutting in and then taking a dangerous shot. Like that that was some of NYCFC's most dangerous moments, and they came off Tyus Magno not playing his position, right? That needs to be worked out. Because I completely agree, he's a winger. They don't have a striker then, and I don't know, you know, how you fix that. I think a good start would probably be throw James Sands in at the back, allows you to push those outside backs further up the field, and gives you a little bit more versatility in attack. Can throw more numbers, you know, in the box, crosses, that kind of thing. But it, at least you know, having making him do all the work. And then the the outside players not necessarily producing as much as they should. It's just not a good combination. Um, and that kind of doomed NYCFC because whenever they had the ball, they really didn't look that dangerous. And if there's one thing we know about NYCFC over the last couple of years, it's that that attack will score goals. I didn't really feel that threat at all this game. That's a real problem. Uh, and quickly before we move on, Andres, what do you think about Randall Leal? Do you think he... You know, what do you think his role is going to be with his national team? Because he looked pretty good filling in for Hani at that 10 position. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting story to follow is what, what kind of formation or how they're going to utilize him. Because, yeah, I agree with you. He, he, looked, he looked pretty good. Uh, but you've got one of the top two or three best players in the league already there. So uh, are you going to move him back out to the wing where I think he might be a little bit less effective? Um, I think it's a story to follow. But he filled in more than adequately, and you know, going forward, I, you know, I'm not sure if Teal Bunbury as a number nine by himself is is going to be how you want to play. Uh, you know, there's going to be some formation uh, intrigue there coming for, moving forward into the next uh, couple of weeks to see how they put it all together. Absolutely. I really don't hate the idea of, of putting him... I think he might be a little bit uh, less impactful on the wing, but starting him there and then bringing Fafa Pico to come in in front of tired legs. Fafa Pico is one of the most enjoyable people to watch take defenders one-on-one. That would be, an, in my opinion, a massive recipe for success. I still think that they need a bit more of a focal point at the top, but that's, you know... Uh, whom amongst us isn't so uh can we talk talk about another team that's kind of needing a little bit more of a focal point up top and uh throw this down to georgia because atlanta had a really interesting result and they're starting without uh jamakis but tiago almada is legit guys they were about to lose to san jose and they would have lost to san jose had not Almada pulled out some of, I mean, one of the greatest moments that we've seen in years in MLS, right? I I think they said the first time in years and years that a a single person has scored two goals, the equalizer and then the winner in stoppage time. Both of those goals came after the 90-minute mark. That's absolutely incredible from Almada. Both of them were unbelievable goals just incredible goals and now Atlanta is feeling good about themselves where you know if those goals didn't go in those incredible shots just varianced their way into you know going slightly wide or slightly over the net then we're talking about a completely you know humiliated Atlanta side 
that opens up with San Jose, who's one of the weaker teams in the league, and can't even beat them. I, it's just like, it's what we love about MLS is this complete, you know, two-faced nature of the game where, you know, subtract eight minutes from that game and it's a completely different result. But Andres, you're welcome to touch on Almada. I think so many people have done it. If you want to take this in the direction of San Jose, you're more than welcome to. So, yeah, we can just quickly on Atlanta to wrap up or, or to discuss them a little bit further. So I think you guys said it. If if you don't get an all-time last six minutes or seven minutes out of Almada, you're looking at a pretty awful first result, right? Home at home to San Jose on opening opening match. Um and you're you're relying on this sort of you know all-time moment from a player that we mostly don't think is going to be there very long you know at, at the very latest this winter so maybe the full season uh but you know even even probable that could be a summer a summer move so that's that's not super uh well or, or boding well for Atlanta going forward if that's what you're needing to get a result on the on the flip side, you're you don't have Jakamakis playing yet. Uh, Miles Robinson and Guzan are back, so there are some positives to to be taken still. That you're you're getting you're a little bit healthier than you were. Your your new strikers yet to debut, but still in general it wasn't wasn't great and not a ton of passages of play that led to big moments until the last two. So. Uh, Great that you got away with three points, but I don't. I don't think you're satisfied if you're at the very least if you're on the coaching staff or in the front office. Uh, San Jose looked pretty good, man. Um, they suffer. They they suffer the other side of that all-time performance and and walk away with zero points where they had three right beforehand. Um, maybe they ran out of steam a little bit in the second half. And didn't create a whole lot, but I think they're, you know, we're we're excited to see Ebobisi and Espinoza and Cowell playing together with Jamiro Montero behind them. Um, I think that's that's a potentially very good front four. Um, and I think you know at the end of the at the end of the match, if you're on the San Jose side front office, you're probably you're disappointed with the result, but you're encouraged by the performance. A hundred percent. This I and this was exactly where I kind of wanted to to lead this. This San Jose team finally has a plan, and it's it's not kind of way out of left field. This the the midfield rotations were significantly tighter. I think Grayso gives San Jose something that they can really really build around, and has the ability to cover slightly more ground than just Jackson Yule alone. We know that Yule is not necessarily you know great going into a challenge at times. But he can pass the ball pretty effectively at times. Uh, and then you do have a couple of, in my opinion, elite chance creator in Christian Espinosa, elite chance finisher in Jeremy Obobese. There's still so much to like. And I'm, I'm really, I'm much more positive on this San Jose team than I thought I was going to be. And I will say this, so to, to finish my uh, Atlanta take, the team that they put out today is not the team that they're going to be for the vast majority of the season. I think that you're going to see Luis Abram come in and re- continue to build up that solidity on the back line. I'm really, really excited to see that. I think you're going to see Santiago Sosa come in, back in and probably start next to Ibarra to go ahead and help solidify the midfield. I'm still very, very high on them. Luis Arujo is... Uh, that's the name. He had a tough day. That, that's the name that, that, I, that I when you're when you were going through the through the lineup. That's the name that I think they need a lot more from. He's mm-hmm. you know a big money DP attacking piece. Uh, looks the part and just hasn't had a, really good places. Hasn't put up the numbers. Yeah, he gets into really good places, but just cannot find that last bit. And that's that's got to be so frustrating for Atlanta fans. Um, I, uh, man, it's it's tough not to think of this as much more of a PT Martinez signing than a Miguel Almiron, and that's really unfortunate to say because this is a lot of resources going into one player. Fortunately, it's not like those I don't know the twenty twenty one twenty two years where you had PT 
and you didn't have Almada, at least now you have Almada if you're going to have a PT as well, equivalent. And now I think Arujo can be better than PT, and I hope that he will, because like you said, Matt, good player, right? We know that he comes with a boatload of talent. He's just got to start producing now. That that That's the only thing left, because it seems that the team values him, took the penalty, missed the penalty, unfortunately. They, they get the three points, though, in the end. But... You just you want to see more and at home at home as well. You want to see more. Uh, this is one of the games that I three sixty'd uh, again. Unfortunately, three sixty didn't let it let us fully enjoy this game the way that we think it should have been, Andres. Um, but seeing those two goals go in and then the crowd just go wild, it does make me feel at least a little good because I don't have any real attachment with Atlanta. But it is cool seeing that fan base re-energized because it is one of the best fan bases in the league. It's just, it, it's so cool to see them go absolutely bonkers in the stands, all 60-some thousand of them. That's a lot, of, a lot of fun. So that was another one of those moments. That one and then the, the back pass goal were the two moments from this, and I guess the Drewsy goal, where it was, that was the wow moment. That That's the moment that's going to stick with us. If we think back on week one at the end of the season, I think we're going to remember at least Almada's two goals, because they were just something special. Now, speaking of stoppage time winners, DC does basically the same thing that Thiago Almada did single-handedly, which is come back in stoppage time and get the win at home to open your season up the right way. Benteke on 90 minutes, and TKDP, Teddy DiPietro gets the 98th-minute winner, the youngster getting the job done in DC. Andres, I'll throw it to you first. What did you see in this game? And it's pretty awesome to see one of our our young guys getting a run out and scoring an absolutely massive goal for DC. Yeah, so I I uh, completely transparent here. I so I gave up on three sixty about thirty five minutes in uh, to the first half games, and then I started watching streams kind of myself. So while this game was going on, I was watching Atlanta San Jose, uh, basically, uh, which was good for me. I saw the Almada goals live, but I missed most of this uh, basic comeback from DC. So I, I ended up just watching watching the highlights back. And what you can see here is one of the things we really worried about with Toronto is, you know, you turn the ball over, you can't get pressure. Um, even that first goal, you can see it really clearly where uh, Matthias Klich uh, basically strides forward like 30 yards and has a shot from, from about 25 out. Then nobody puts pressure on the ball. And the the winning goal, a lot of the same. Uh, DC is able to play through Toronto pretty easily, uh, gets into a, a good position in the box, and, and Teddy KDP you know, finishes it off. Um, so... From from Toronto's perspective, we we've kind of had this worry about them um, in the midfield. Insigne walks off the field. It seems like he's questionable. They just updated it recently here, so maybe he's not not too too bad that injury. But between the injuries and the midfield, um, that's kind of the bottom falling out worry that we had with Toronto. And from DC, you're looking for anything positive uh, after the last couple of years, and a late comeback win, uh, youngsters playing well at home to start the season. I think, you know, if that's not a shot in the arm for a franchise, I'm not sure what is. Uh, I don't know how sustainable it is, but it's it's a good start at least. Absolutely, that's I. This is just it gives DC fans a little bit of excitement, and it's just that little little bit of hope. That's you know, it's the hope that kills you. All the cliches that I can think of. Um, but I will say, I think Benteke could have a big year. He looked really, really, you know, energetic throughout the entire match. Uh, and there are certainly some pieces that look good about this DC team. Uh, I really like their new left back, Giazza, the uh, Iraqi left back. He's, you know, giving a lot of good opportunities. He has Pedro Santos in front of him, so they can really be pretty fluid throughout that, considering the amount of time that Santos spent at left back for Columbus. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I would do anything for my team to play against that Toronto team week in and week out. Cause I, to steal, uh, the, the description from our friends at allocation disorder, 
glacial is how the only way to describe the speed of their midfield rotations. It looking throughout the team, nobody is really moving quickly, and then just nobody really performed up to up to the level of the players that we think they are. In uh, that, you know, everybody from Sean John up to Insigne and Bernadeschi. That's just really really tough. And the big concern is that they do not have near the depth that they need in order to be able to to lose one of their massive signings. So it's major, major concerns. Uh, I I just cannot look at this Toronto team and it's with any degree of confidence. It's just going to be entirely feast or famine depending on how two players are, are feeling that week. Yeah. Not great for Toronto. Pretty great for DC, honestly. You know, I don't think, well, I know that fans' expectations were, it's basically the floor after what's happened to this club the last few years, really the last 10 years. Uh, Christian Benteke gets that goal. Teddy KDP does his thing. Got the assist on the Benteke goal, by the way. Uh, and that's massive for them. Toronto, I'm glad that Insignia seems to not be that bad because I do, I did like watching him last year and I thought he was something special. We know how good of a player he, we know how good of a player he is, but we just need to see everything else get better for Toronto. And those players, like you mentioned, Matt, play to the level that we know they're capable of because we know that those players are better than a 3-2 loss at DC, losing in the manner that they did. Just not not good enough. Moving along, because we have to get through a few more results here before we head out. Seattle looks great. Colorado looks, I mean, awful. After, you know, Seattle lost their first and only game of CCL, they come home. MLS, first week, and they destroy Colorado four goals to nil. Matt, thoughts on this game? Thoughts on Seattle looking like they could be, you know, they they could be the real deal and back to the team that we know that they are capable of. Yeah, this one is the blowout that felt like a blowout. This one, just top to bottom, everybody on Seattle played to their level. And when you start to look at the talent that they have, that's legit, legit. Um, And then you start to look more towards the players that they're bringing on. And they are young, like Josh Atencio, Dylan Tevish, Danny Leva. These are all young players who are getting very, very meaningful minutes to start off the, the league. Like this is, I Seattle's going to be back. I I was a little bit concerned that I, you know, some of these players might have been figured out, but I mean, it, it's tough to tell because I think that Colorado were very, very poor on the day, especially that back line. It looks, it, it very much looks like a back line that is not played together, uh, specifically Maxa and Abubakar. They just, that understanding was not quite there, and they were just getting burnt left, right, and center by Morris and Hebert. And Ladero was pulling strings like we know a healthy Ladero can. Um, this was. This was a, a pretty dominant performance by Seattle. Andres, how how do you see this match? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about my Sounders MLS Cup pick uh, after week one. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think to give Colorado credit or, or or some benefit of the doubt, at least they they didn't have Jack Price in the lineup. They didn't have Danny Wilson in the lineup. Diego Rubio's out. Uh, Ryan Acosta's out. So those are a lot of their senior, uh, you know, MLS veteran players that give them a lot more stability and, and solidity. Uh, maybe maybe that makes a difference in how easy Seattle was was able to put them apart. But man, Seattle with that team healthy uh, and, and with their full full group available to them, you just see how much of a difference Joe Paulo uh, makes and and having Roldan healthy again, Ladero playing well. Yeah, they're still missing Ruby Diaz, but but that just you know you, you, it reminds you pretty quickly why they've been so good for so long. Yeah, like Seattle is the epitome of the real deal when they are doing what we know they can do, right? When 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 Jao Paulo goes down, Vargas goes down, and what I don't need to rehash the situation from last year. It was bad on all counts. A lot of factors outside what they could control on the field. 
and they struggled and didn't make the playoffs because of it, albeit winning CCL. They come back this year, and this was the the year that I think was make or break for Seattle because it has been since 2019, since or sorry, since 2020 since they made the cup, 2019 since they won it, and really last year was quite poor, and the way they lost in 21 that crazy game to RSL was quite poor, and so they needed something um, to go their way in MLS this year, and it looks so far like they've got it. Jordan Morris looks great. And it just seems like that team is thriving up there in the Pacific Northwest. I I think they need to just be able to continue this run of form. And I think next next week will be big to see, was that just a fluke? Was that just Colorado being not a good team? Or was that Seattle showing their might and showing that they can do it? Um, and will do it against better teams as well. We shall see what, we shall see what happens. Uh, we can go I... into a couple quick hits. Can, can I make a petition real quick before we move on? Just oh, of course. To, to MLS in general, uh, I'll use my admittedly small platform to to make this petition. It was so nice to have like one more game Sunday evening to to watch uh, and focus on. You get all your your errands and your and your and your stuff done during the day on Sunday. You can settle in uh, Sunday evening uh, and focus on on one game at the end of the weekend. Taking taking everything after the chaos of the night before, I just hope that I know this weekend there's no Sunday games. Uh, you know, I hope that's a uh, consideration because having an extra game night, uh, all the focused on one on one game with two teams, I think is is really nice, uh, and I hope it continues. Yeah, it's cool, and I liked um, people. People were talking about they should do Friday night, they should do Monday night in 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 the summer, especially you do. Most of your games Saturday, one Friday, one Sunday, one Monday. It gives a chance for four days a week, MLS to be on. That three-day break seems like a, a good enough break where people can kind of regain their MLS energy. And you come back, a, like, Friday night. It's just, a, there's no other sports going on. There's no Friday night football. Like, that's not a thing. Um, and you can kind of make that be your, one of your big games in kind of a standalone environment seems cool to me and seems like something that we can do moving forward. But I agree. Highlighting that game on Sunday was just a nice touch. It allows you to look forward to that game and that game alone. Um, hopefully more of that from MLS moving forward. We shall see us. Uh, we can keep it in the Pacific Northwest. Let's move very quickly. Matt, you can, you can touch on this game. SKC didn't look too bad overall, but Portland won. SKC nil is the final. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the story of this match, Portland looked solid, especially defensively. They they did a really really good job of denying service to the striker. Uh, in this case, Willie Agata. Um, in that combination of of Williamson and Chara, is a really really good lower midfield pairing. Like that's solid. And seeing a motivated Williamson back with this timber seam. That's going to do gangbusters for for this team. Um, and I will say, Evander looks like the real deal. He kiss, was consistently dangerous, could create almost out of no space. Um, and when he continues to build a little bit more uh, understanding with his wingers, with whomever the striker is going to be, I know they just signed a, a new TAM striker as well. There's a lot to like about this team. Uh, what this game came down to is a few really, really poor decisions or uh, for the goal specifically, a um, moment that um, a particular left back chose not to go ahead and hustle and kept uh, Mosquera on side to go ahead and set him up to put it past Pulse Camp. Uh, Sporting shot themselves in the foot several times this match. Um, and... They have some work to do. I'm really excited to see some of their impact pieces come back. We did not see Polito. We did not see Johnny Russell. We did not see um, Radoya. This team is going to get better. They actually really played largely better than Portland at times. Uh, it's just going to take a little bit of time. So I, I'm not going to take too much out of this. Good win for Portland at home. Get their season off to the right start. And last thing before we uh, we leave the week one coverage before and we can uh, touch on week two very quickly before we head out. 
Andres, I'll throw it to you. You can hit... You, I, how about we do RSL? RSL come, comes back on the road in Vancouver, wins 2-1. This RSL team seems to have the heart of a lion, and they just seem to always get the job done. No matter the stakes, no matter the odds, they get the job done. What do you see in this RSL team as we move forward? Still not the most talented roster, but they they won the game. Yeah, and they won the game by being clearly and, and very much uh, and better in the, in the second half. After Vancouver was was better in the first half, and I thought was up one nothing deservedly. Uh, you know, it it tilted the other way completely, um, and and RSL has enough, especially with a healthy Demir Krylock, who gets the winner here, um, to play together and put a team away um, in that in that way when they when they're the clear better team here. And and I think for Vancouver here, pretty disappointing uh, because they clearly had enough. To, to win and they just kind of ran out of steam and, and the game went against them so good result for for RSL um, I'm not sure it bodes you know one way or another for either team uh, but Demir Krylock being healthy and playing well is is the biggest story for me yeah and I, I will say I think that this Vancouver team is going to be significantly better when Sergio Cordova can start from the beginning because I do think that he is a more clinical finisher than Brian White. Brian White gives you a ton of work as that kind of backward pressuring forward. Um, but I think that the the highest ceiling for Vancouver is when they are going or starting Cordova. We also didn't see a couple of their other pretty significant signings and things, specifically Laborda and um, I will say uh, Takuoka is legit. He seems like a really good goalkeeper, and he was keeping a lot of very, very good-looking chances from RSL out. So I'm really excited to see what he does this season. I would say also, I can this completely uh, pass by me, but this was the uh, Sergio Cordova uh, derby, you could say. Uh, Cordova got on 76 minutes. Um, we shall see what his impact is with Vancouver this year. It was always fun um, with, with RSL. Uh, and we shall we shall see what he can do. Yeah, I think I think me and, me and Matt have different opinions of, of Sergio Cordova, and, and <laughs> but that's that's a debate for another. He's time. a little bit wasteful, but he he can stretch the back line, and nobody else really on. Eh, Dahomey does that occasionally, but eh, it's just not what Vancouver does particularly well. And I think that they need that verticality, pace and power. Sergio Cordova is pace and power, and I mean, yeah, everything that comes with that. Um, so RSL wins 2-1 on the road in Vancouver. Gotta be, like you said, disappointing for Vancouver, but they can't hold on to that lead in their own building. But Salt Lake will start with three points, and we shall see what they can do next week as they travel to Seattle. Um, that's gonna be a tough matchup. We'll see what they're made of there. Moving into week two, we can say one match that you're uh, really looking forward to as we head into next week. Andres, I'll start with you. So I'll I'll take the first match uh, of the of the week, uh, getting the defending champions back on the field for the first time after El Tráfico was canceled. Um, seeing what LAFC looked like against uh, a Portland team that, as Matt mentioned, has some interesting pieces. Um, you know, a, a Evander going against that retooled midfield back line. Uh, yeah, start the match. Start the week off. Uh, Get that one game that you can watch in its entirety uh, with the defending champions back in. That's that's my first go-to. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it a little bit differently. I'm gonna go ahead and take Chicago Fire against New York City, and these are two teams that I think everybody is really concerned for, and I think that that gives us a chance for to see who's gonna go ahead and step up. Um, Chicago did not play last weekend. I want to see what Ezra has been able to go ahead and put into this team. Uh, are they going to get anything of significance from Torres? Are they going to get anything of uh, significance from Shakiri? I don't know, and I'm really interested to find out. And then New York City, I just want to see some prog- or some progression, something. I, I don't know if James Sands is going to be uh, game fit enough to go ahead and come back into this team already, but 
I'm really interested to see exactly what that game looks like. Yeah, it's an interesting, inter- interesting take there. I'm kind of, and I, I know this sounds kind of homery, but I'm interested to see what the Union can do uh, on the road at Inter Miami, the at the normal 7:30 game slot. Inter Miami is a team that came out last week, wins two nil pretty comfortably against Montreal. Right, we know that Montreal kind of lost some pieces, lost their coach, and not quite sure what they're going to be. But they come out, they get that win, and you know they do it. You know, incorporating the new center back gets a goal. I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. Gregory still the captain, still locking things down, and we know that they're a tough team to play for. You know, for the Union or any team on the road as referenced by the fact that they already got the job done once at home this year. So I want to see what the Union are made of, traveling down to Florida after um, getting the job done at home. We shall see, because Inter-Miami is a team I expect to make a jump from last year. Last year they were, you know, on that playoff edge, on the, on that playoff cusp, and they played well. And, you know, at the end of the day, they got into the playoffs. This year I want them to solidify that spot and push for greater things. And this is a good test for them as they host the Union on Saturday. It's a complete pod, guys. That's exactly what is going to be moving forward. All the games, all the matchups, you know, looking forward, obviously, to the next match week. MLS Benched is back in full form, and we hope to continue this moving into week two. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, Andres. And I appreciate all of you listeners for listening. Until next week, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and MLS is very, truly back.